This is Daf Kaf Dalid in Masechet Megillah. We will begin on Daf Kaf Gimel Amud Bet at the last two lines of the Amud with the new Mishnah. A person who gets an Aliyah to the Torah cannot read less than three verses. And he has to read to the translator. They used to have a person translating each Pasuk into Aramaic. He can read one Pasuk at a time to the translator, not more than that. If he's reading the Haftarash, he can read three Pasukim at a time for the translator to translate. If the three Pasukim that he reads in Navi are actually three paragraphs, meaning there's space between each one of those psukim and the next, such that they are divided, they're like long verses that make a paragraph in and of itself, so then they should read each one separately and allow the translator to translate each one. We can skip in the Navi, but not in the Torah. How far can you skip? You can skip as long as it takes for the translator to finish. In other words, as long as the translator is still translating what you last read, you can roll the scroll ahead to a part to skip ahead. But you can't do that if it's going to take so long that the translator is already finished and you're still rolling because then you're causing a delay to the community and it's not respectful to the community. The Gemara says, The idea of the three verses per aliyah, what did they correspond to? They correspond to Torah, Prophets and writings. It says that you can read only one pasuk at a time. If you're reading the Torah, only one pasuk at a time for the translator to translate. If it's the Navi, the prophets, the Haftarah, three pasukim at a time. If the three pasukim are actually three different paragraphs, because they are long verses that each of which is separated from the next by a large space, then you can then you have to read them one at a time. This is the Haftarah of Parashat Shoftim in Sefer Yishayahu. It says. Each of these psukim is actually a paragraph, so to speak, in its own right. It's separated out as a paragraph in its own right, and therefore you have to read each one, wait for the translator to translate, and then move on to the next one. We said you can skip in Navi, but not in Torah. However, but what about Urmini? We raised an objection. We said that we read the Kohen Gadol when he reads the Torah. He reads Achorimot, which is the description of the Avodav Yom Kippur, and then he skips to Parashat uh, Emor and reads Ach uh, Be'asor, he reads the part in Parashat Emor that describes Yom Kippurim. So how can he do that? He's skipping. No problem. It's not that far from Achorimot to Emor is, is only uh, uh, two parashiot away. He can do that while the translator is translating the last pasuk that he read and it's no problem. But then we learn about this midalgin benavi ve'in midalgin b'torah. Doesn't it say in the Mishnah that you can skip in navi and not in torah? Ad kamu midaleg. And how much can he skip? Meaning in navi, ad kadesh lo yitzok ato geman. He has to skip in enough time that the translator is not done yet. But miklad b'torah klad talo. The implication is that when it comes to the torah, you can't skip at all. Rather, Abaye gave another answer. The question is whether it's two topics or one topic. In other words, since in, when it comes to Yom Kippur, it's one topic. It's the service of Yom Kippur that the Kohen Gadol is reading about in Parashat Achoimot. He skips ahead to Parashat Emor, which is also on the same topic, so it's okay. But when it comes to Navi, you could skip even from topic to topic. Vatanya didn't we learn it? And, and, and in fact, there's support for that in a Torah. You can skip in the Torah as long as you're on the same topic. And when it comes to Navi, even if the topics are different, in both cases, the condition is that it has to be quick enough that the translator has not finished translating the previous Pasuk yet so that you are not keeping the people waiting. We learned in another Baraita. You can't skip from one book of Navi to another one. You can only skip within the same book um, because uh, 
uh, you know, skipping to another book is not allowed. However, within the 12 prophets of Treyasar, you can, because it's all considered one book. As long as you don't go backwards. You can't read something in the book and then go back to an earlier section of the book. You can only skip forward. And in fact, we do have haftarot such as on uh, when we read uh, Sef- when we read the Haftarah of Yom Kippurim in the afternoon, we read Sefer Yonah, and then we read Miel Kamocha at the end, which is also part of Treyasar, but it's a different book of Treyasar, but it's okay because it's all considered one book. The Mishnah says, "I'm Avtur Navi, who pores al Shema." The person who reads the Haftarah, he is the one who is pores al Shema. Now we mentioned in the previous uh, in a previous shiur that pores al Shema. There's a discussion of what it means. Either it means where the minyan, people have already prayed as individuals and now they want to have the credit of some of the Dvarim Shebik Dusha that they missed. So they put a Chazan to read the, Baruch, the Kaddish Baruch Hu and the first Bacha of the Kuyat Shema that has the Kedusha in Shachrit. That's what Rashi and Tosafot understand. The Geonim understand that what it means is that, uh, no, even before they've prayed, that to put somebody to lead them in that part of the tefillah and fulfill their obligation from them listening to him is called Pores al-Shema. teva. So the person who reads the Navi is the one who's pores al shema. Now, this, now the way that the Ran says, he says, depending on which explanation you take, you're gonna have, you're gonna read it one way or another. Um, you're gonna read it either uh, the person who's going to read the haftarah will be pores al shema, or the one who read the the, the Navi, the read the haftarah will be pores al shema. So he says it depends on which explanation. And the commentary, some of the notes there say we don't understand what he means depending on which explanation. He didn't say any explanation that would be relevant to this. But the answer is, I think. Um, from what I understand, what it means is like this. If you hold like Rashi, that the person who is going to be Pores al-Shema has already prayed, the people have already prayed, so he might also have read the Navi, meaning you choose the person who read the Torah to do it for the people who were late and who prayed by, by themselves and now want to constitute a minyan, right? Uh, whereas according to the one that says that no, Pores al-Shema starts in the beginning of the tefillah, even before the people have prayed, it's for people who have not prayed yet, so then the Haftarah is coming afterwards, so it means the person who is going to read the Haftarah should be the one who is Pores al-Shema. In any case, he's also the person who should be the Shlech Tibor to pray, do the Chazorat HaShat, he also does Birkat Koni, right, obviously if he's a Kohen, meaning a person who is uh, qualified to do these things is also qualified to uh, to do Birkat Kohanim. If a child is the one reading the Haftarah, which is allowed, then his father or his teacher will become the Chazan or will be Pores al Shema on his behalf because he's too young to do that. Because a child is allowed to read the Torah, he's allowed to translate it, but he's not allowed to do the Pores al Shema. He can't do the repetition of the Amidah because these things he's fulfilling the obligation of others. He can't do that. He also can't do Birkat Kohanim. There's all discussion about that because other Gemarot suggest that he can do Birkat Kohanim. Seemingly the difference is if he does it together with adults, then it's allowed because it's Chinuch. He's being trained. If he does it by himself, it's like the community is receiving the blessing of a child. It looks disrespectful to the community. A person who's Pocheach can do the Prisat Shema and he can translate the Torah but he cannot read the Torah and he can't be the Chazan to repeat the Amidah and he can't do Birkat Konim. Now, what is a Pocheach? According to Rashi, it means that his legs are exposed. He's wearing shorts or he's barefoot. What he says is his knees are showing, meaning he has very, he's wearing shorts. According to, uh, according to the Geonim, according to Rabbeinu Hanan El, it means, and I'm sorry, according to the Rif, rather, um, it means a person who has torn clothing and his upper body and arms are showing. Um, and and, that, and uh, the Tosafot even quotes the Rif here about that. Uh, the per- point is he's not pro- appropriately dressed. Right. A blind person 
He can be the, do the Prisat Shema, he, and he also can translate the Torah. He obviously can't read from the Torah, but he can translate because that was done by heart anyway. That was done orally. Anybody who never saw the lights, meaning he's never seen the sun and the moon and the stars, he cannot do the Prisat Shema because it involves reading the first Bachav Kriyat Shema that talks about the Meorot, Yotzer Meorot, thanking God for creating the lights, the luminaries in the sky, which he's never benefited from. The Gemara says, What's the reason? What is the reason of this rule that the person who reads the Haftarah also gets these other... Um, this honor of uh, leading the tefillah, since just because he read the Haftarah. So, it's because of honor. Rashi says, because the person, since the person did something which isn't such a big kavod reading the Haftarah, we give him a bigger kavod. We want to prevent fighting. In other words, um, the um, people will argue about who's going to take which role, and, and, and to avoid fighting, we give it all to one person each time. This way, the person gets a my benai. What's the difference between them? Difference is if he does it for free. In other words, if the person who who uh, serves as chazan is doing it for free, so in that case, um, there there's no concern about the uh, fighting. But there could be concern about the honor. In other words, they're not going to fight over it because it's not something that there's any material benefit for uh, that they would want to fight over it. But there is an issue of kavod. So he says uh, that uh, uh, so uh, because the person because the person doing it for free, but still is an issue of honor. It's not. It says in the Mishnah, if it's a child who's going to read the Torah, so then his father or his teacher will go instead. So if we're talking about a matter of fighting, why would the child be getting involved in any kind of fighting over this? So why would you have to give the honor to his father or his teacher? He's not going to get into a fight with somebody over leading the, leading the tefillah. He can't, he can't even do it. You're going to say it's because of kavod. So katan bar kavodo. Same question. In other words, a child also is not concerned about kavod. So if you're, if it's whether it's about fighting over money or it's about fight or about kavod, it's the the kid case doesn't fit in either of them, right? Ela ika. The answer is, what about his father and his teacher, that they're going to feel disrespected if their child is given the honor, uh, or the child is given the responsibility of reading the Torah, and they don't get to lead the tefillah, it will, they will be, uh, they will be uh, insulted. Same thing could be, that there's a, an argument that, his, that, the te- that the teacher or the father will get into an argument over who should get the Haftarah, I'm sorry, who should get the uh, honor of... Um, of leading the tefillah or the benefit or the payment of leading the tefillah if it's not done for free. And so therefore the father and the teacher could get in, uh, you know, into the same kind of a scuffle, same kind of dispute. And so therefore if the child reads haftarah, the honors that go with that are going to go to the father or the teacher. But we can't determine from that whether it is because of fighting or it's because of kavod. Either way, it's going to go to the father or the teacher and we can't resolve which one it is. It's either because of fighting over money or because of honor. What's the deal with a child who has either shorts on or whose arms are exposed? Can that, can that child uh, read from the Torah? What about a naked, per, a naked child? What's the reason why a child can't read naked? 
right? Because of respect of the community. In other words, the question was, maybe you'll say that since he's, uh, since the issue is because his body is revealed, but he's, not, he's, he's still young, so he doesn't have the same restriction of that his nakedness can't be revealed. It's not the same thing. But on the, but you don't allow him to be totally naked. Why? Because even though you would say that the child, uh, maybe doesn't have to have the same restrictions of modesty as an adult, you're still not going to disrespect the community by putting a naked child. So you also shouldn't disrespect the, the community by putting a child wearing shorts or a, ch- a child whose upper body is exposed to read from the Torah. Even if technically it's not erva, it's not considered nakedness, but it's still not respectful. It says that a blind person can read the first bacha of the Kriyat Shema, do the Prisat Shema, even though he's going to say, that he's going to thank God for creating the luminaries in the sky. It says, how could you say that somebody has to have seen the heavenly bodies in order to praise God for them? There are many people who study the Masem Rekava of Hashem, the divine chariot, and they've never seen it. What are you mixing up? Here we're talking, that's talking about understanding of the mind when you study Masem Rekava. Right? We're not talking about uh, physical sight. Over there you can focus your mind and understand. But Right, But here we're talking about thanking God for creating the luminaries in the sky and this blind person has never benefited from the light. So how could he praise God for it? So there's a difference. One is intellectual understanding. One is physical seeing. What are you talking about? Even the blind person benefits from the light in the sky. As Rabbi Yossi said, because Rabbi Yossi said, my whole life I was worried about this certain pasuk. It says, in the curses it says, you will be feeling around in the, in the middle of the day. Like a blind person who feels around to find his way at night. I didn't understand. Why does it say you're going to be moving around like a blind person at night? What difference does it make to a blind person if it's day or night? Until something happened to me. One time I was walking in the depth of the darkness of night. And I saw a blind man walking around. And he was holding a torch in his hand. I said to him, why are you carrying a torch in your hand? You can't see anything. He said, as long as I have a torch in my hand, people will see me. They will save me from all kinds of danger, from pits and thorns and thistles I might ride into. So it's not, I'm benefiting that other people can see, is the point, even though I myself can't see. So in the same way, a blind person can praise God and thank Him for light because people who can see are able to help Him and He benefits from that. If a Kohen has blemishes on his hands, he cannot do Berkat Kohenim because people will look at them and focus on his hands instead of listening and having proper Kavanah um, and uh, for, uh, also uh, there's a, a concept as Rashi quotes that we don't look at the hands of the Kohanim because the Shekhinah is resting on them and if he has any deformity in his hands people will look at his hands and they're not supposed to Rabbi Omer even someone who doesn't have any mum any like uh, defect in his hands but he has uh, uh, he has like uh, ink that's staining his hands shouldn't do Berkat Kohanim because people will look, be looking at his hands during the Birkat Kohanim, and either it's wrong because the Shekhinah is resting on his hands, or because it will, def- it will in- interfere with their Kavanah, it will interfere with their concentration um, during the Birkat Kohanim. Noah says, Tana, it says in a Brayta. And what does the Bach say? He takes these words out. Um, he says, some people have it, some people don't. 
these mumin apply also to his face and his hands and his feet. If a person's hands have spots on them, bohakaniot uh, is a type of a uh, discoloration of... Um, they have all kinds of like white spots on them. He cannot do Birkat Kohanim. Taninam Yachi Velen Rabaita. Yadav Bohakaniot lo Yisad Kapav. Akumot. Akushot lo Yisad Kapav. If they're Akumot or Akushot, meaning they're bent either forward or to the sides or backwards, whatever it is, he, they have some deformity. He cannot do Birkat Kohanim. Amavasi Avasi says, Chifniu Bashini. If a person is uh, somebody from Chaifani in Bashini, is Chaifani is somebody from Chaifa. Uh, and a Bashini is somebody from Bechan, that they had a certain accent that they couldn't pronounce Hebrew correctly. So the uh, it should say Bashani, not Bashini. It should say Bashani. Why? Because they pronounced the letters wrong, and the Gemara because they had a, a, a certain uh, speech impediment, um, as we're going to see in a second. We don't allow us to be Chazan. We don't allow people from Haifa or from Bechan. And not people, uh, not Anshetiv Onin. Um, another place that they had the same problem. Because they pronounce Aleph as Ayin and Ayin Alfin and they pronounce uh, the Ayin as Aleph. He said to him, you know, if you were a Levi, you would be pasul from, uh, the, from being able to sing with the other Levi'im on the Duchan, on the Bima. Why? Because because your, your voice is uh, not very good. Your voice sounds bad. You, uh, so, so Rabbi Shimon came to his, son, to his father, Rabbi, and he told him, you should go tell him. He, told, he said, Dad, my, my, my teacher said that uh, if I were a Levi, I would be pasul from singing because I have a bad voice. He said, you go tell him. When you read the pasuk, I hope to, to Hashem. I yearn for Hashem. Right? Are you not blaspheming? Because he had a problem saying the chet. He would say it as a hey. So it's a I'm hitting Hashem instead of a chikiti, which means I am uh, waiting for or yearning for Hashem. So he said, aren't you also, because of your speech impediment, uh, ruining the, uh, the, uh, the, or saying things that are inappropriate? Now, interestingly, in Birkat Kohanim, we have a particular, uh, pasuk that is problematic for somebody who mixes Ayn and Aleph, that Ya'er Panav Elecha, if you say Ya'er, it means may Hashem enlighten his countenance for you. Ya'er Hashem Panav means, is a curse. It means, may Hashem, uh, like, uh, un, pour out his fury and anger against you. We don't want to say that. And obviously other things in the tefillah also with Ayin and Aleph, if they're mixed up, they will change the meaning and that's why they would not allow a Chazan or a, or a Kohen doing Birkat Kohanim to say it if they weren't able to pronounce the letters correctly. So the question is, that Tosafot asks, what we see elsewhere, we see in Masachet Baba Metziah that actually um, they put a, uh, we see that, you know, in general, we're not supposed to use a Chazan who has difficulty uh, pronouncing the letters correctly as Chazan. So how come it is that Rebbe actually had Rebbe Chia serve as Chazan on a fast day? He said, and he answers that, well, it's not that he could never say the Chet. He could say it. It's just that he had difficulty saying it. So when he concentrated really hard, he would be able to say it, just that naturally he didn't say it clearly. Uh, in his na- Naturally, he had to make an effort to pronounce it properly. He said, a Zavlegan, somebody whose eye 
is very uh, teary. He's always having teary eyes. Cannot do Birkat Kohanim because people will look at him. Wasn't there somebody in the, in the neighborhood of Ravuna himself who had this teary eye problem and he allowed him to do Birkat Kohanim? That's different because he was already established in the town. Everybody knew him so they didn't really pay attention to him anymore. Similarly, it says in the A person who has teary eyes should not do Birkat Kohanim. But if he was already familiar to everybody in the town, then he's allowed because nobody pays attention, it's not a distraction, they're not going to look at him. If a person's blind in one eye, he should not do Birkat Kohanim, because again, he's going to attract attention. Wasn't there somebody in Rabbi Yochanan's own neighborhood who had that problem and he allowed him to do Birkat Kohanim? That was somebody who was so familiar and everyone was used to them in the town, so they didn't even notice it anymore. We learned even in Abaita that if somebody is blind in one eye, he cannot do Birkat However, if he was somebody that was already established in the town, everybody knew him, then he's allowed to. If a person's hands are stained, even if they don't have a defect, but their hands are stained with something, they cannot do The Brayta says, if most of the people in the city are in that profession, that they have this kind of dye on their hands, so it's nothing special, it doesn't stand out, and people that have that on their hands could do Birkat Kohanim. If a person says, I will not lead the tefillah, I will not be the chazan if I'm wearing colored clothing, he can't even do it in white clothing. In other words, if he has some kind of a hang-up that might be based on some kind of a uh, uh, heretical beliefs that you can't be a prayer leader in, in colored clothing, he's not allowed to go uh, in, uh, in white clothing. If he says, I will not go down with sandals on, then he can't even go barefoot. In other words, once he says that he has some particularity that he observes that indicates that he has some unusual ideas, we don't allow him to be the chazan anymore. If a person makes round the tefillin, it's dangerous, there's no mitzvah in it. Uh, if he puts it on his forehead, meaning literally between his eyes, or on his the palm of his hand instead of on his bicep. This is the way of heretics. If he covered his tefillin with gold, or he puts it over the sleeve of his shirt. This is the way of people on the outside, people who are following their own made-up ideas and not the ideas of the Chachamim. The Gemara says, What's the reason why if a person says that they have a hang-up about praying in colored clothing... Uh, that we don't allow him to pray at all. We're afraid that he has some heretical ideas or idolatrous ideas that have entered his mind. If the person puts tefillin that are round, it's dangerous. This seems to support what the rabbi said. That the tefillin have to be square and that is the halacha Moshe Misinai. This supports it because it says round tefillin is no good. And Rava said, what does that mean? It means uh, It means both in their sewing and in their di- and in their diagonal. In other words, around the perimeter has to be squared, and also in the diagonal has to be exact. Meaning, it has to be perfectly square in every way. You can't pull the um, the sewing too much that it that it distorts the squareness of the tefillin. Right, so our Mishnah seems to support that. It could be that our Mishnah is not really commenting on that. It's not commenting on whether the tefillin is perfectly square. It's just saying that you shouldn't make it round like amguza, like the way, uh, like a nut. Why? Because if you put it on your head, sakana means if you bang your head against the wall, it could penetrate right into your forehead because it's going to be, uh, you know, because it's going to have that sort of a. Uh, uh, and uh, the shape of it allows it to cause you more harm. It's a sakana. Uh, so that's the, that's the reason why 
We're not allowed to have tefillin like that, but it's not necessarily saying that if the tefillin is flat on the bottom, that it has to be perfectly square. That we need a teaching of halacha Moshe Misinai to know, and we do know that that's the case, but we can't learn that necessarily from this particular Mishnah. Interestingly, Rabbeinu Tam says that what does it mean? It's a sakanavin ba mitzvah. It means since you're not fulfilling the, the mitzvah, then in a time of danger, this mitzvah will not protect you like it might protect somebody, uh, like it protected Elisha Balak Nafaim in the famous story that the zechut of the mitzvah tefillin protected him. This type of tefillin will not protect you from danger. That's why it says it's a danger and it has no mitzvah.